Oh, Christmas season. Luke chapter 2, and I've entitled this morning's message, Ordinary to Extraordinary. Ordinary to Extraordinary. When I read the, the Christmas story here in Luke chapter 2, what really sticks out to me is just how ordinary everything is. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Emmanuel, God with us, God in flesh, has been into the world to save man from sin, but there's no fireworks, there's no parade, there's no singing, there's no dancing. For most of the world, everything is just going on as normal. And so I want this morning, I want you to think about how God can use the ordinary. Let's read together Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 and following. And this is what it says. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The story is amazing. Leading up to this, we find that Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, has made a decree that everyone should return to their hometown for a census. The Bible tells us that Joseph has to go to Bethlehem because of his lineage, and so they begin to make this journey. Now, Mary is pregnant, and when I say she is pregnant, I don't mean she's pregnant. I mean she's like very, very pregnant. She's ready to go into labor, and they make this journey that is probably between 60 and 80 miles over rough terrain, and you can imagine how harsh the conditions are. And the Bible tells us they come into Bethlehem, and there's no room for them in the inn. Now, we probably picture a hotel, but there was not a hotel. They probably would go to a relative or someone that they at least had an acquaintance with. And as they went to the home, they got the news that there's no room for you tonight. Everyone is traveling. Everyone is going to their hometown. Every bed is filled up. There's no room. And so I can imagine Joseph takes his wife, and they find this stable. And we picture a stable like our little nativity scenes, but it was most likely a cave. A cave that had animals all around, and it was dirty, and it stunk. 
And I can just imagine that Joseph goes in and he thinks to himself, is this really the best that I can provide for my wife? But he tries to make the best of it, and so he straightens up a little bit. He, he gets a spot, and he makes it as clean as he can. And then Mary comes over, and just a, a matter of time, the Savior is born into the world. And Joseph takes that baby and gives baby Jesus to Mary, and they wrap him in these, these swaddling cloths. They would do that to keep the baby warm. And then in the cave, there's probably a, a cutout on the side. And this is where they would feed the animals. And the animals would come and they would eat. And so maybe they pick up a little bit of hay and they put it in this manger, in this feeding trough. And they take the baby and they lay him here. And this is the one who will save the world. But when you look at it, it's just so ordinary. It's almost lowly. It's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of heaven and earth. But he is born in, in such a way that you just think, is this it? And for many folks, because it's so ordinary, they miss it. Because it's such an ordinary birth, they say it cannot be Jesus. It cannot be the Messiah. Where are the fireworks? Where's the procession? Where's the party? Where's the dancing? Where's the power? Where's the esteem? Where's the wealth? But there's none of that. Jesus comes and he is born in such a lowly, lowly way. And what I want you to see and notice this morning is that God can use the ordinary to do extraordinary things. And the first thing I want you to see is this. God chooses and God uses the ordinary. God chooses and God uses the ordinary. Look at verse 8 again. It said, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Among occupations, shepherding was a very lowly Place. They were the outcast. They were not allowed in the city and they were not trusted by the general public. Most people looked at shepherds and they believed they were thieves. They had very little to do with shepherds. Shepherds would maybe own a small piece of land, but they would not be able to earn enough money to provide for their families. So they would go around and they would take sheep from other people and people would pay the shepherds to manage their small flock. And so night after night, day after day, shepherds would watch after their sheep. They were peasants. They were located toward the bottom of the scale of power and prestige. There was nothing special. There was nothing spectacular about the shepherds. They were just common, ordinary folks. But here's what I want you to see. When the Messiah had come into the world, it is the shepherds who got the first message from God. God did not go to the powerful. God did not go to the movers and the shakers. God did not go to those who were highly esteemed. But rather, God went to the lowly shepherds and said, let me show you something great. God chooses and God uses to use ordinary people. A lot of us, if we're honest, there are ways that we deal with insecurity. A lot of us, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see our flaws and we see our weaknesses. Can I just tell you, I do that. 
When I look in the mirror, I see so many flaws. And I see so much weakness. And I see so many things that I've done wrong and so many areas that I've messed up. And here's what I think. God, how could you ever use me? And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I really, I look and I say, God, if I could have this gift or if I had this personality or if I looked like this or if I acted like this, if whatever it is, fill in the blank, God, if I blank, then you could use me. But I'm not blank and I don't know how you could use this because I know how messed up it is. I, I can remember so many times in life that it's just like, God, how could you use me? I, I was... Talking to a, a group earlier, I remembered this. We did a, uh, a funeral service. I don't even like sharing this because it, it's so bad. But we did a, a funeral service. And I had one job in that funeral service. And it was simply to read the obituary. Not hard to do, folks. It's really not. But this was a, a funeral service for a, a younger person. And uh, the place was, place was filled up. And so my time came following the schedule, and I got up, and I was reading the obituary. And for some reason, I felt the need to add something in, wanted to just add something. And so I got to the obituary, and there was a part that said this. He was an avid Dallas Cowboys fan, okay? And for some reason, I looked up and made a joke, and I said, and we all know that's a dying breed, You were there. You won't forget it. <clears throat> Here's my question. Have you ever said something, and as soon as you said it, you realized what you said? And before you said it, you didn't realize what you were going to say, but then you said it, and you think, oh, Lord, what did I just do? And so I said that, and I, I finally made my way through the rest of the obituary, and my lovely wife was sitting in the audience, and I scurried back to my seat, hoping that it was a nightmare, and I sat down, and she said, do you know what you just said? <laughs> and I just looked at her, and I went, uh-huh. And, and I want to tell you, just being honest with you, I left this place that day, and I said, God, I don't ever want to speak again. How do I mess that up so badly? How do you get to the point that you just mess it up, something so serious? How do you do that? And I wish I could tell you that's the only time I, I baptized uh, uh, Daryl, Daryl Davis. I, I, I love Daryl. I led Daryl to the Lord at the hospital. I baptized Daryl. He comes in. This is what I do. Doug, I'm so glad you got saved. Doug, sit down right here. Doug, do you know without a doubt that you've given your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And he looks at me, and I can tell you had a weird look on his face, but he said, yes. And I said, then I baptize you, Doug, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with sin, raised to newness of life. I sat down, and again, Brittany said, you know his name's not Doug, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just feel like an idiot. And, and here's what happens. I, I, I go home, and, and maybe it's I'm saying Borden Gevis instead of Gordon Bevis. I don't know. You go home, and you say, what is wrong? How could God use someone like me? How could God do it? There, there are people that are so much smarter, so much more intelligent. They have so many more gifts. What do I have to offer for the kingdom of God? I'm so ordinary. I'm nothing special. I have so many shortcomings. And it seems like they're always in front of us. But then I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chooses and God uses ordinary folks. Ordinary folks who are messed up. Ordinary folks who have a lot of baggage. Ordinary folks who have gone through life experiences. Ordinary folks who sometimes look in the mirror and they don't like what they see. Those are the folks that God uses. And sometimes we sit in our pew and we think, I know that God can use some folks, but he will never really use me. And I just want to tell you, based on the scripture, that is a lie from the devil. God wants to use you God wants to use you. He didn't mess up. God loves you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for your life. He made you the way that you are because that's how he wants you to be. Stop trying to be somebody that you're not. Embrace who you are and let God use you. You think that God can't use you because you've got bad stuff? Do do, do you read the Bible? We read so many people who are messed up, but God uses them greatly. You know, the Bible says that Noah was a drunk. Do you realize that back in Genesis? Noah, he got off the boat and he got drunk, but God still used him. Abraham, he was too old. David was too young. The Bible says that Jacob was a liar. The Bible says, and it's not nice, but that Leah was ugly. The Bible says that Joseph was abused. The Bible says that Moses had a stutter. The Bible says that Gideon was afraid, that Samson was a womanizer, that Rahab was a prostitute, that David was an adulterer and a murderer, that Elijah was suicidal, had had depression, contemplated suicide, that Jonah ran from God, that Job was bankrupt, that Peter denied Christ, that the Samaritan woman was divorced over and over again, that Paul was too religious, and get this, that Lazarus was too dead. But every one of these messed up people, God came in and God worked in their life and God used them for his kingdom. God is involved in finding ordinary people and using them greatly for his kingdom because then he gets all the glory, honor, and praise, and it's not about us. God's looking for someone who is humble, who says, Lord, I don't have much to give, but what I've got, I'm going to give it to you. I'm broken. I've got issues. I'm not picture perfect, but I believe you can take what is broken and you can use it for your kingdom. The shepherds were nobodies. The shepherds were lowly. The shepherds were not very smart. But when the Son of God came into the world, the shepherds got the first baby announcement. The shepherds got the first invitation, and they got to go and see baby Jesus. God chooses and uses the ordinary. Then I want you to notice this. Extraordinary events happen on ordinary days. Extraordinary events happen on ordinary days. Back to verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. We met the shepherds, but what are they doing? Well, on this particular night, the Bible says they're keeping watch over their flock. It's about as ordinary as it can possibly be. The shepherds are doing the same thing that they do every other night. They're watching sheep. 
Their calendar is not full. They probably don't have a lot of friends, not a lot of events on their social calendar. And so night after night, they are tending to the sheep. It's just an ordinary day. But I believe that God can use the ordinary days. I think one of the problems that we have in our world is that we have lost our zeal for the ordinary moments in life. We seem to be so intent on the the big moments that we bypass the day-to-day activities around us. In my house, in the kitchen, we've got this plate Mama's got this plate, and there's ribbon around it, and she writes on it, always has something on it, and usually the plate turns into a countdown ticker. And so right now, it's counting down till Christmas, and there's, there's 10 days, uh, 9 days, 8 days. We're counting down the days till Christmas. After Christmas, we'll count down the days uh, until Kaysen, my little girl's birthday. Her birthday is February the 12th. Now, my birthday is February the 10th, but I won't make the plate. I don't know... <laughs> I don't know why, but I don't make the plate. But Kaysen will be on the plate. And then we'll count down the days to her birthday. And then we'll count down the days till spring break. And then we'll count down the days till summer vacation. But here's the problem. There's a whole lot of good stuff happening between those big moments. And sometimes in life, we focus so much on these big moments, something big that's going to happen, that we lose our excitement and we lose our zeal for what's happening today right before us. It could be that God wants to do something spectacular in your life here this morning. God wants to do something great right here in the midst of us. Do you know what I think uh, helps with this problem? May I just say hurts with this problem? So much time is spent on social media. Do you know what you see on social media? You see the big moments of life. You see where folks are on and they're putting their vacation pictures You see where folks are on and they're talking about how great their kids are. They're talking about their accomplishments, talking about how great their marriage is. And then you look around your house and you're like, man, my life's not always that great. Their kids are so well behaved on the picture. You look at your kids and you're like, my kids are hoodlums. Their marriage looks awesome. You look at your marriage and say, oh, it's kind of tough right now. You look at their face and say, I went to school with them, but they have no wrinkles. It's a lie. They're using a filter. They have wrinkles. They're just hiding them. That's all it is. And so we look on Facebook and social media, and everything looks so big and so grandiose. And then we look at our mundane, everyday life, and we say, oh, it's just so ordinary. I want to tell you, we've got to relish. We've got to savor the everyday moments. The everyday moments. That's what makes us the man or the woman that we are. Listen, you know what I want out of my life? I want in my life, I want my kids, I want Mason, Maddox, and Kaysen to grow up, and I want them to look back at their daddy, and I want them to say, my daddy is a good man. I'm going to say, my my daddy, he loves Jesus with all of his heart. My daddy loves his family with all that he is. My daddy works hard. He's honest. I want them to say these things about me. Do you know where I can build that? I don't build that on a vacation. I don't build that by a large Christmas present. I live that in the small, mundane moments of life. I build that by making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I build that by giving the kids a bath. I build that by playing catch in the backyard. That's where we become the men and women that we want to be. It's in the mundane, insignificant moments of life. I want one day, I want to be on the porch with my wife, and I want her to look in my eyes, 
And I want her to know that I have loved her well for so long. That's not going to happen on a vacation. That's going to happen through the the day-to-day sacrifices to where I prove to her how much I love her. It's an ordinary night. The shepherds are doing what they always do. They're out in the fields. They're doing their things. But in that moment, God does something incredible. God comes and says, I know it's ordinary, but let me show you something that is awesome. And as I read through the scriptures, I'm amazed that for so many, things just seem so ordinary, but then God shows up in a big way. Do you remember Moses? It says in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses was keeping the flock. He's shepherding. And all of a sudden, he looks to the side, and there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. That's amazing. He walks over to it. He hears a message from God, and God uses him to deliver the Israelites out of bondage. An ordinary night, but God does something so extraordinary. Remember, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're at work. They're fishermen. They're fishing. And Jesus walks by and simply says, hey, come, and I'll make you fishers of men. It's an ordinary day at their job. They cast their nets down, and they begin to follow Jesus. It could be this. It could be that in your life, God wants to use you right where you are. God wants to use you at your job. God wants to use you in your home. God wants to use you this week when family comes over. Stop looking for some huge stage. Stop looking for something that's, that's grandiose. Take the stage away. Take the reputation away. Take the success and the money. Triumph is found in the mundane moments of life. That is what defines who we are. And God wants to use you to do incredible things. So we see that God uses the ordinary. Number two, I want you to see that Christmas shows us God's love. Christmas shows us God's love. Verse 9, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now let me show you three things that Christmas brings. we got to move quickly, okay? Three things Christmas brings. First of all, Christmas brings good news. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Now, what is the good news? What is the best news that you could hear this morning? Well, you might could hear that you get a promotion at your job. That's good news. You might hear that someone is gifting you a, a retirement account and you can retire from your job today, never go back in. That's good news. I could tell you that Brother Charles is going to send you on an all-inclusive paid vacation to anywhere you want to go this morning. Hallelujah. That would be good news. But do you know what the greatest news in the world is? The greatest news, that's why he says it's good news. The good news is that Jesus has come. The good news is that Jesus has come into the world to save the lost. That's the good news. That's what we're looking for. When you you look at that word good news, it goes on to talk about the gospel message. It says in Acts 8.12, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The good news is the gospel of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
This day as Jesus was born, that good news is starting to take place. Listen, without Christmas, there is no good news. If we don't have Christmas, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you're successful if you die and you go to hell. It doesn't matter if you are prosperous if when you die, you go to hell. It doesn't matter if you have all the world has to offer if when you die, you go to hell. That's why it says in Mark 8, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Without Jesus, there is no way to guide. We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. We cannot come to church enough or give enough money. The only way to God is through Jesus. And so when there's this proclamation of good news, I want to tell you it's good news. At Christmas, we ought to be excited. It is a special time of celebration. But not only is it good news, look at the next thing. Christmas brings great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. It's joyful because it solves the largest problem that we have. If there's anything to be joyous about, this is it. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Romans 15.13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Do you know what's difficult? Is when Christians have no joy. When the lost world sees Christians. They see people who claim Christ. They, they see people who claim that they were headed to hell, but now they're headed to heaven. And they see the way that they live, and they never smile. They never offer encouragement. They never seem like anything's going well in life. Listen, I understand that circumstances can be tough. I understand that we don't always feel happy, but even if we don't feel happy, we can still feel joyful because Jesus is bigger than our circumstances. Do you know what James says? James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Bible says even in tough times, we're to be joyful because we know that God is working. Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of social unrest, even in the midst of political craziness, we can still be joyful because we know this morning that God is in control. And that joy starts with Jesus. If there's no Jesus, then there is no joy. Thirdly, we see this. Christmas is for all. Good news great joy. And he says this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Do you know that Christmas is not just for us inside the church? We live in a world that folks want to say, happy holidays. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. And here's why. It's not because I want to just be a pain, but it's because Christmas is for everybody. I want folks to know this is the celebration. It's not about a Santa Claus or an elf on the shelf. It's about Jesus. It is good news for all. All humanity needs the news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read this week a politically correct Christmas greeting. I want to read it to you. It says, best wishes from an environmentally conscious, socially responsible, low-stress, non-addictive, gender-neutral winter holiday practiced within the most joyous traditions of the religious persuasion of your choice. 
but with respect for the religious persuasion of others who choose to practice their own religion as well as those who choose not to practice any religion at all. And that's the world we live in, that we cannot even say Merry Christmas. But Luke 2 tells us that Christmas is for all. Let's close with this, okay? Christmas is all about Jesus. We see three things about Jesus. Look at verse 11 now. Walking right through the text, you can see it in front of you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three things about Jesus. What is he? He is a Savior, he is Christ, and he is the Lord. Savior is the one who will deliver us. Listen to me. We live in a world and everybody is searching for a Savior. Right now, folks are looking to this COVID-19 vaccine and they say, finally, we found the Savior. That's not the Savior. Folks say, if we had more money, that would be our Savior. That's not the Savior. If we have better education, free education, that'll be our Savior. That's not going to be our Savior. We keep looking, but everything falls short. The only Savior is the baby that we celebrate today. And so it says, come and see the Savior. Jesus is the Savior from the city of David. There is no substitute But not only is he the Savior, the verse says he is also the Christ. Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the Messiah. The Messiah is the one that the people were longing for with expectation. The one that we have hoped for for so long has finally come. He is the Christ. And then it says he is the Lord. Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know what Lord means? In its simplest form, Lord means one who is in charge by virtue of possession. In other words, the owner, the one who owns it. That's what the Lord is. You know, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. 1 Corinthians says, I've been bought with a price. Let's close with this. Here's the picture. The picture is that he is our owner. We've been bought with a price. This is no longer my body. It's not about me, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations. It's about me waking up and saying, Jesus, what do you want out of my life? I've been crucified with Christ. It's not about me. It's about him. The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord. There it is again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything that you are. So I want to ask you this. It's one thing to celebrate a baby in a manger. It's one thing to celebrate a Savior who comes into the world. It's one thing to celebrate a Messiah who has been expected. But when you start talking about the Lord, that means that our life has to pay tribute to that. It's not just empty words any longer. It means that I'm going to live my life under his lordship. I'm going to live my life under his authority. I'm going to live my life under his reign. If Jesus really is who we say he is, then it must change the way that we live our life. I remember several years ago, I had a Christmas gift coming, and it was a new guitar I always had a a real cheap guitar, and I really thought that if I had a better guitar, it would make me sound better. (laughs) It doesn't, but I thought it did. And so I got a guitar coming for Christmas. And I remember I would sit in the kitchen, and I would watch because I knew the day it was coming. I would watch, and 
All day I'd watch. And then finally I saw that brown truck coming down the road and it turned in the driveway. And as soon as it turned in the driveway, I was out the door. Like a little kid, I was running to that UPS truck and I got to the UPS truck and this guy comes out and he's got that big box and he, he hands it to me and I say thanks and I go in and I begin to open it and I begin to pull out my brand new guitar. You know what I didn't care about? I cared nothing about that UPS driver. I didn't care about him. I did not ask him how his day's going. I didn't care how his day was going. I just wanted to get my guitar and get back in the house and open it up. Do you know what I'm afraid? To many of us, Jesus is just the UPS driver. That's it. We love it. I mean, we love to see him come around. We love what he brings us. We love the happy life, the happy family, that we can pray to him and get good gifts. But really, all he is is the UPS driver. Can I just tell you this? Christmas is not about the gifts. It's about Jesus. It says the good news is Jesus. That's the good news. The great joy comes from Jesus. It's for all people. That's what Jesus is. What is Jesus? He is the the Christ. He is the Savior. And he is the Lord. We've got to remember that Christmas is about Jesus. Let's pray together. I want you to look in your your heart, and I want you to see what God might have for you this morning. I know we've talked about a lot quickly, but I see these things in the the book of Luke chapter 2. I see that God chooses and uses ordinary folks on ordinary days. You know what that tells me? We cannot make an excuse any longer not to be used by God. We can't say, I'm not good enough, I'm not, whatever it is, God wants to use us. And so maybe you look at your life and you say, you know what, I've not been been open for the Lord to use me. And I realize that that's just an excuse and it doesn't carry much weight. Pray right now and ask God how he wants to use you. Say, Lord, how do you want to use me in my life? I know I don't have it all together. I know I've got some mess-ups, but Lord, how do you want to use me this week in my ordinary life? Now think about as we celebrate Christmas. Think about that good news. Does that good news make you excited about that little baby that was born? Does that... That baby in that manger, does that make you joyful? Does it give you great joy in your heart? Does it make you want to celebrate? Does it make you want to share it? Share with others this week? Because Jesus is not just for you and me, but for the whole world. And then do you realize who Jesus is? Do you realize that he is the Savior, that he is the Christ, and that he is the Lord? And if he truly is those things, it will totally change the way that we live our life. He cannot be your Lord if you don't honor him and serve him. So is he the Lord of your life? Lord, we thank you so much for this time we've had together. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we realize that he is our Savior and that we can be saved in no other way. Lord, that he is the anointed. We celebrate that. 
And Lord, I pray that we'll live in such a way that shows he is our Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. If you need to come down,